The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Welcome to Barron's Live. My name is Leslie Hendrickson. I'm a reporter with Mansion Global. Today with me are George Raitu, Senior Economist for Realtor.com, Rebecca Norris DiNapoli, an agent at Compass Nashville, and Jay Philip Parker, CEO of Douglas Element in Florida. Welcome to you all, and thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Leslie. Yeah, Good to be here. Looking forward to this conversation. So I want to start with you, George, because we're going to be talking about the Wall Street Journal, Realtor.com, Emerging Housing Markets Index. Can you give us a quick introduction to what that is and its methodology? Absolutely, Leslie. The, the, the index really is a joint partnership between the Wall Street Journal and Realtor.com. And what we try to do with this index is go beyond the headline yeah, metrics that most people are familiar with, prices, sales, to capture emerging markets on a wider uh, scale of metrics. So we still look at real estate market indicators, time on market, the number of views the property gets on realtor.com, prices, but we complement those with metrics for economic vitality in local markets. We'll look at unemployment rate. We'll look at the share of small businesses. We look at quality of life. we look at commute times. We'll look at um, amenities that are available in a particular area for consumers. So we try to get a more holistic view. And when we plug those those metrics in on a quarterly basis, um, it's interesting to see some of the, the cities that come up depending on how markets and the economy perform. And this is what we're seeing, obviously, for this third quarter. When we look at markets, we still see certain markets, even amid a, a tumultuous real estate environment, we still see markets where people are looking to purchase homes where transactions are still taking place. Right. So Nashville, Tennessee uh, was the number one city, the number one destinations on on the index, followed by Charleston, South Carolina, and three markets in Florida, all on the West Coast. These are all considered Sunbelt cities. So can you talk a little bit about the Sunbelt and how it's fared over the pandemic over the last two and a half years, say? Absolutely. The Sunbelt has really been a, a, a shining star, in fact, in a really challenging period, right? The pandemic has been challenging on all fronts. In, in terms of housing, what we saw due to social distancing, due to remote work, due to all the things that we remember fairly well, um, people sought a haven. They sought refuge in homes. And importantly, they looked for uh, affordability as well as quality of life. And here, I think the Sunbelt absolutely has been leading the way whether it's Florida, whether it's Tennessee, whether it's the Carolinas or Texas, what we've seen by and large is buyers are looking for uh, states that have solid and strong economies. And when you look at places like Nashville, Miami, Orlando, Atlanta, you see economies with really low unemployment rates, lots of jobs. And on the real estate side, you see much more affordability. And I think it's easier. And probably Jay and, and Rebecca will touch on this, uh, we see people looking, especially retirees, but even younger families, for lower cost of living. Let's not forget that both uh, Tennessee, Florida, and 
adding to that, Texas have no state income taxes. For affluent buyers, this is a really important driver of, in many cases, decision making. So as we, we've seen, and, and you, you highlighted the top uh, markets in the luxury segment, very much reflect some of these underlining uh, fundamentals. Right. One more question before we head to Rebecca and Jay, but you mentioned the tumultuous market, and obviously we're seeing that in the headlines, but that's not, I'm not sure that the third quarter is really catching up with that, but maybe you could speak a little bit to this tumultuous market and what, what we uh, can anticipate for the rest of this quarter. Absolutely, Lexi. Uh, Leslie. What we've really seen this year, and I think the big story for real estate markets have been mortgage rates. Right. With the Fed pushing hard to contain inflation. So you have this this combo of inflation running at a 40 year high. And then in tandem with that, you have the Fed uh, aggressively pushing rates to contain that. And so far, we're not seeing a decided effect. I mean, the CPI still running hot. The PC, the uh, personal consumption expenditure index just came out um, this morning. That's still running hot. We've seen uh, rates surge from about three point you know, 10 percent in January to over 7% this last week. Bottom line is for a medium priced home, the monthly mortgage payment is $1,000 higher than it was a year ago. That's a, just, I mean, by any measure, a significant jump in the cost of financing a mortgage. And we've seen that in transactions. Sales of existing homes have been down for uh, eight straight months. New homes are down, builder cancellations. So by and large, the market is going through a significant retrenchment nationally. However, that national picture does obscure what's happening in many local markets where activity is still moving apace, where buyers are still in the market. Um, it's just that I would say for the lower end of, of the market, there's a lot more financial pressure on buyers. Right. And what about the luxury side? The luxury side, we've seen activity continue. I mean, when you look at jumbo um, uh, rates, they are actually, by and large, uh, still well below the conventional mortgage rate. So for um, for affluent buyers, in fact, financing, yeah, it's more expensive than a year ago, but it's not yet in that you know seven percent realm. Um, and in addition, I think it's worth mentioning, and I'm sure you know Jay will touch on this. For a lot of affluent buyers, real estate is in many ways an inflation hedge. So we've seen uh, for a lot of folks, you know, a, a play in in that direction. Gotcha. So Rebecca, I want to turn to you and talk a little bit specifically about Nashville. What are you seeing on the ground there right now? Well, um, I'm part, of course, partial to Nashville because I've been there for 30 years and I love it. I've seen all of its growth. Um, it's basically, I think, the top 10 right now in population growth because of the affordable cost of living um, relative to other metropolitan areas. And it's really the quality of life and there's no income tax. And, and um, I think one of the strongest job markets in the nation really right now, because there's so many jobs, there's a lot of corporations coming here, um, Oracle, um, Amazon, um, gosh, um, Google, you know, there's just, it, it just, they keep coming. And, and I typically work in the luxury market, but I also do commercial and lower income. So I kind of do it all. <laughs> and I've really seen a, a lot of um, people stepping back a little bit in this economy because of the, of the unknowns with the um, interest rates. But at the same time, they're 
the people that are buying non-luxury properties are excited that they can actually have a um, an inspection. <laughs> they can have a, an appraisal done on a house. They can actually not be in that rat race. I've had a lot of people lose out on contracts during that time of that crazy time where they would actually rather pay, pay, pay a little bit more in interest rates and get what they want and have time to buy the right house. I, you know, during that rat, rat, rat race, I, I bought, I believe, five houses for buyers on FaceTime. And, and it was just a crazy time. They didn't even get to walk through the properties. <laughs> so in Nashville, I, I've seen kind of um, a little lull during the time of the interest rates. And then when everybody was kind of figuring it out and, and saying, hey, I can do an arm, you know, I can do an arm and buy down the rate. You know, there's different ways to work around it. And um, it's kind of normalizing, but it's still a, a seller's market for sure. But that sense of urgency seems to have diminished a little bit. Jay, have you found that? Definitely, as well? yeah. Yeah. Good morning. Thank you, Leslie. It's a pleasure to be speaking with all of you. You know, our company uh, focuses in the luxury sectors and, and only the particular markets throughout the country where our clients want to be. Um, so, like George was was mentioning the luxury sector of the market seems to be having a little bit of a different impact from the inflationary measures and the interest rate issues than than the non-luxury market um so there is no doubt that we have seen this massive transformation in markets like nashville and florida and texas um, and in fact we're following those markets because we do believe that those are the markets where there'll continue to be an influx of transactions of buyers and i think notably the, the types of buyers that are coming into these markets tend to be to the higher side of the spectrum of wealth, uh, particularly in South Florida and Southeastern Florida. Um, and because of that, some of these variables are of less of an impact. Uh, most people buying, you know, what we consider ultra luxury homes in the high end of our market, $10 million and plus, um, they're less concerned with interest rates. Uh, they typically have the ability to either buy in cash or perhaps buy, borrow against the portfolio which of course has been impacted by the market, uh, the stock market having some downward pressure on it. Um, but I think George really hits it on the head. Um, you know, we, we are clearly feeling a, a recalibration of the frenzied um, markets we've seen over the last couple of years. And, you know, Howard Lorber, our chairman and I have talked about it quite frequently. Is this, you know, we all can kind of point to the pandemic as uh, the justification for this sort of great migration from parts of, uh, the Northeast, the Midwest, the California markets, uh, they're coming because of, you know, the ability to work from home and the ability to, you know, kind of redefine your living you know, sort of parameters. But I think there's more to that. I think we saw momentum, um, and I'm sure it's the same for Rebecca, we saw momentum at the beginning of the tax reform change, um, when the no income tax, no state income tax markets uh, weren't faced with this deductibility issue on their federal income tax returns. And I think that momentum sort of started to snowball. Uh, and then, of course, the very unfortunate pandemic um, really put a supercharge on that and allowed people to accelerate what may have been a decision they were contemplating. And I think that that in itself, and frankly, Rebecca, I was just in Nashville um, looking very carefully at your incredible market. And 
I can feel the energy and I can feel the, the types of things we've been feeling in places like Miami Beach and Palm Beach and West Palm Beach and Boca Raton and Naples. And, and I'll talk about the West Coast. And, and I think that, that while a lot of people tend to say it was the pandemic, um, I think it's more than that. And I think it's here to stay. And George also mentioned the word, or it might have been you, Leslie, transformation. And I firmly believe that many of these markets have transformed so that they're going to completely abandon their historical real estate traditional movements. And Florida in particular was always known as a boom bust state. Um, and when we saw these great surges uh, and then the financial crisis, which again was a financial crisis that led to a real estate crisis, but, uh, and then everything kind of collapsed and there were you know, thousands of condos left unoccupied. But today's buyers, they're not the same. They're, they're primarily first home buyers. So in addition to this hedge, as George mentioned, against inflation um, and frank, frankly, a bricks and mortar investment, as opposed to what one may feel less comfortable with in an equity investment, um, people are, are flocking to those types of investments for that stability, security. And when it's also enhanced by that first home um, component, I think we pretty much know that most of our um, most people have their largest investment in their primary residence. So that also provides us with a little bit of security against the free fall should things get worse. You know, if I, 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 I cautiously ask George, are we heading into a deep recession? Uh, and I think most people tend to say what he said. I mean, we've got some downward pressure, um, but we don't really know how, how bad this will be or, or how soft this will be. But I think for for the lucky people like Rebecca and I being in Florida or in Nashville, Tennessee, um, I think we're going to see continued strength. And it will be, Rebecca said we're in a seller's market. I believe, at least in, in my Florida markets, that we're in much more of a balanced neutral market. Uh, there is absolute demand. It is meeting slightly more inventory. So it's putting buyers and sellers in a place where Rebecca, as, as a very professional realtor, says they can get inspections. Uh, and I say, as someone that looks at the transactions, they have the ability to actually negotiate. Right. Right. Um, Jay, you mentioned inventory. That's also been obviously a huge story this year. George, could you speak a little bit about the inventory and where we're at and where we thought we might be when we were starting this year out? Absolutely, Leslie. And, and here I think it's worth framing the, the, the bigger picture, and that is, it's worth remembering, and I know it's, it's been such a you know up topsy turvy period. It's worth remembering that we started 2022 with a market still beset by massive shortage of inventory. When you look at at new homes, existing homes, we are really at the tail end of a, a decade in which new construction has really lagged significantly behind household formation numbers. So we've still had population growth. And at the same time, we haven't met that that rising population with additional homes. So by our calculations, you know, that gap between single family starts and household formation was close to six million at the start of the year. Um, and, you know, the, the pandemic only worsened it, you know, to prior to the pandemic, we're about, you know, four million. So obviously the lumber issues, supply issues took a big hit. What we've seen through the year, however, as sellers came back to market in April, May and June, Many of them ready to move you know, beyond the pandemic and at the same time really take advantage of record high prices. We saw active inventory begin to rise. It moved above year ago levels in May and it has been in, in a sense continuing to rise since then. Even in September, 
uh, active inventory was rising, even as homeowners actually started pulling back by, by late August, September, we've seen sellers pull back from the market. Many of them uh, seasonally is moving to a fall, but also a lot of them worried they might have missed the peak of the market. And even so, we see more properties on the market. Time on market is lengthening and the, the immediate reaction. And then that's so true, you know, to, to Rebecca's point, we are seeing sellers who are still wanting to close a deal resorts to and not only negotiations, but somewhat of a maybe by now an old fashioned approach, which is, you know, reduce the price. We are actually seeing 20 percent, 20 percent of you know total inventory on Realtor.com as of September had price cuts. And that's higher than it was, you know, even in 2018. Uh, so we are clearly returning in that regard to a much more normal balanced market. It's just that the other metrics like prices, you know, in relation to incomes and income growth and interest rates are obviously still out of reach for a lot of people. Gotcha. I do want to remind our audience that you can feel free to ask questions in the Q&A and we will hopefully get to some of those at the end of our conversation. But we do have a question from Lee who asks about investing and he asks, is there anywhere where you would uh, recommend investing in the luxury real estate market now? And what do you think that the mortgage interest rates, or do you think the mortgage interest rates will get back to that three to 4% anytime in the next five years? So um, Rebecca, why don't we start with you? I know there are a lot of investors coming to Nashville. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, it's funny, a lot of the houses that have been um, being built in Nashville for um, builders that had planned to just go ahead and, and spec them out and sell them, they've turned around and became rental properties. So those rental properties are now their investments and these people are coming in wanting to rent these properties that are new construction, beautiful luxury homes and wait until they either find a place they want to live and kind of take that natural out a little bit and wait maybe for the interest rates to come down so they can earn money and work a, a, a good sense. Um, paying astronomical, I mean, amazing, uh, gosh, high prices just for uh, luxury rentals. I just rented a, a house uh, from one of my builder friends who wanted to do this from Chicago. She was trying to get out of Chicago, high, living in a high rise. And she was uh, really kind of tired of seeing looting outside of her window. And she was just felt unsafe. And she lived on a high, high floor and still was um, not felt, she didn't feel safe. And so She's now going to be leasing in Nashville, and I reached out to one of my builders and said, would you be interested in, in leasing that out for a while for X amount of dollars? And he said, yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> so so that's kind of where we are. There's, um, there's a, a, a lot of good investments because people are willing to pay that rental price. And um, same with commercial. I do commercial as well, and I have several clients on Music Row, and I've um, just sold a property to a, a family that's going to be using it as a business that um, is going to build um, uh, low income housing because Nashville is gravitating toward bringing more affordable housing in because it's so widespread 
that you can actually go out and still be really close to Nashville. And that's where they're going to be building is further out. Yet, yet you know, the, the transportation to Nashville is it's very well designed. And so it, the traffic there is really being utilized in, in a great way with new construction for everybody to get around and not be stuck in traffic. And so there's a lot of different opportunities from luxury and lower income housing that it just kind of works in Nashville. Gotcha. And what are you seeing on the investment side in Florida, Jay? Yeah, you know, Florida, by the way, I agree with everything Rebecca said. Um, and I actually don't want to forget to ask George before I answer the question. I, I, I've always said um, over the last five years that the domestic population is most heavily weighted in what was the baby boomers, uh, so now empty nester and retirees. And I think it may be shifting a little bit, but there's still a huge segment of the population. I'd be curious, George, if you could ever pull those statistics and, and share them with us or with me. Uh, but the reason why I say that is because we've known forever um, that in the domestic market, oftentimes there's a relocation at the empty nest or retirement stages. And those retirement destinations tend to be markets like South Florida. Um, and so organically, notwithstanding all these other transitions that I think are here to stay that have driven our markets, um, both the East Coast and the West Coast of Florida, I think there is a very real uh, nor normal organic uh, migration that we're going to continue to realize in markets like Southern Florida and, and parts of Central Florida. Uh, so I believe that many of our markets continue to present good investment opportunities in the luxury sector. Um, I also think that um, I'm going to credit one of my, actually, she's the number one agent in the nation for Douglas Solomon. Her name is Dina Goldentire. And I'm going to credit her with a very, very intelligent statement uh, as it relates to pre-construction purchasing. Um, we represent right now in Florida about almost 50 new developments. Um, but interesting to the historic development uh, um, sort of idea, a building today could have anywhere from 40 to 100 units. Um, most of our products don't get anywhere close to the three, four, 500 types of buildings that we've seen in the past. So while there are a number of projects coming out of the ground throughout the state of Florida, many of them are 50 or 100 units, really not even providing for the over 1,000 people that are moving into the state today. Um, and I'm not sure about Nashville or Tennessee, but I can tell you that I believe um, Florida is one of the only states that has continued to enjoy year-over-year -year increase in its population size. Um, and if you compare that with our pricing um, for, in the luxury sector, being able to purchase a waterfront or water view luxury branded by branded, I mean a Ritz-Carlton of Four Seasons, and certainly they're coming in at different price points, but um, condominium in a pre-construction format for $1,000 or so a foot, it's still a tremendous, tremendous price point opportunity as compared to what one might consider the other major global metropolitan markets. And I think when you add into that what we've seen in the overall maturation of our markets, and I, I'm speaking for Rebecca as well, because I've become a huge Nashville fan. And I think it's true mm -hmm. in our market that um, you're finding with this evolution, with this higher caliber of, of domestic migration into our markets, it's being met with the sort of wisdom of local entrepreneurs, businesses, and an influx of those businesses from feeder states. So we're seeing new restaurants, new cultural institutions, um, larger and more um, 
elevated hospital systems, um, educational systems, larger law firms. Um, you know, we talk about Florida and opportunity for investment. I encourage anyone to read an article about uh, Ken Griffin and his moving of his company uh, to South Florida and what the immediate impacts will be from the number of people that will be for populating his 800,000 square feet in downtown Miami, all of whom will be high income earners. Um, and I think that there's a trickle down effect in that regard, because as you bring in people with discerning elevated and needs and also income to be able to um, sort of become consumers at that level, you're having a need for more managers, more bartenders, more restaurant servers. Um, every part of our community needs to grow and expand and create revenue to service that. I also think that, that, that because of the tremendous amount of investment in infrastructure in the state of Florida, um, there's going to be a continued demand for, re for residential. And in the luxury sector in particular, I, I think almost any one of the markets that we're in provides upside. And as Dina said, when you buy pre-construction, you should be buying into some positive equity. That's the concept. I'm going to advance my purchase dollars today and I'm going to wait a year or two or three until I can actually realize the benefit of the property. And for that, there should be some economic incentive. Historically, we would think that that economic incentive related to the price today versus the price when I ultimately move in. Uh, and that's because much of the real estate investment, particularly in Miami-Dade County, was speculative investors. Um, so when it shifts to an end user, the ideology behind it changes. It's no longer what will it be worth when I'm ready to move in so I can sell it to am I getting an economic benefit? So I think the pre-construction properties do offer that benefit. We're pricing them sensitive to the increase in values, but also with the notion that people should get some type of a benefit. And I also think that this concept we've all talked about, sort of returning to a balanced market and an opportunity to actually engage in negotiation, uh, the best deals are the ones you make for yourself. So if you find something that you believe in, a product, a market that you like, in an environment like Miami or any one of our uh, Florida markets where, quite frankly, there there is no more land to build and a lot of people want to be there. So if you want to be in that market and you recognize what I'm sure George would agree is one of the most basic indications of uh, value, supply and demand, I would say as the supply continues to diminish and the demand remains relatively robust, uh, values will go up. Gotcha. George, I wanted to um, get your thoughts on some other communities that might be good for investors like Dallas, which we've talked about and is in the top 10, I know is a, is a big one. What are some other places where investors should be looking? From my perspective, as a, as a solid rule of thumb, I would look at number one uh, metro areas that have strong economies, right? You want metro areas that are growing, that are providing jobs. To Rebecca's point earlier, right? Nashville has been a, a solid hub for uh, a lot of companies, and it's not alone. You look at Raleigh, you look at several markets in Texas like Austin, Dallas. You look at Florida. A lot of companies are recognizing the fact that the places they've called home for many decades, think in New York, San Francisco, LA. Uh, have become really victims of their own success, right? People can no longer afford to move or live there. So in order for them to, to attract talent in today's market, they are moving to some of these other cities, building second headquarters, building additional operations. So from my perspective, wherever you see a market growing economically, companies moving in, people moving in, 
is by and large a, a great place to look. In addition, I think it, it's worth pointing out to the supply pipeline. It remains constrained, but in a lot of markets, we're seeing a ramp up in multifamily. So if you see a lot of supply come online in the multifamily space versus a market that's more constrained, you're likely to do better in a more supply constrained market over the medium term as an investor. Uh, so in that regard, I'm still very bullish on the South and Southeast in general. Gotcha. And what about this question about the mortgage interest rates? Do you think they'll be back down to the three and four percent in the next five years or so? That's a you know very uh, timely question. Uh, from my perspective, when I look at the long term, right, you look over the last few decades, rates have hovered somewhere around five percent. We saw a solid decline over the last decade or so, too, even. Uh, the, the real challenge right now is inflation and monetary policy. Both of them are putting strong upward pressure on rates. The way I, I see this going is as long as the Fed achieves its, its soft landing, right, curtailing rates without killing the economy, it's beginning to look a little more unlikely. Um, we're going to see rates remain elevated, in my view, above 5%. The only way we're going to see rates in the in the short to medium term back to 3% is if we enter a severe economic recession with massive job losses. Uh, in that regard, we're going to, to see probably a lot of investors, particularly those looking at the bond markets, try to, to pull away from, from equities into bonds. That might, with higher demand, drop interest rates. But at this point, that's really my the only way in which I see rates dropping back to the historic levels we've seen over the last two years. Gotcha. Um, this question is from Philip. He's wondering if the tanking stock market and imminent recession, his words, will cause luxury owners to sell their homes or second homes um, as they feel negative wealth effect on their portfolios. Do you think that that's a possibility? Um, Jay, why don't I start with you? Actually, I, I think it's the opposite. I think when people feel that there's stress and pressure in the financial markets, they tend to flock to hard assets. Um, mm -hmm. I'm also not sure that uh, Phil, was that the question who asked the person who asked the question? Mm -hmm. oh. I'm not sure that the tanking stock market is necessarily a perfect picture of what's really going on. I think we've seen now five or six consecutive days of uh, material gains in the stock market. I, I do think that there's a lot of volatility in the stock market and there's certainly been a lot of equity lost in you know some of these uh, areas like bitcoin and cryptocurrency and related companies that i think have absolutely uh, created a little less buying power uh, and i think anytime somebody sees their portfolio um down they might get nervous and anxious and it's one of the things that we like about real estate um, you buy it on the day that you buy it and you don't really know what it's worth until you sell it again. So it doesn't go up and down and drive you crazy every day like the stock market does. Um, so I think what what and I think Rebecca said this, I think what the the volatility in the stock market is is largest impact is uh, creating a, a sense of pause. Um, allow me to really understand where this market's going. Um, you know, I, I always answer the question about interest rates, that they're going to go in one of you know three directions, up, down, or stay the same. I agree with George. They're probably going to you know hover at this higher number for a little bit of time. I, I expect that there'll be some retreat um, in, in the next you know couple of years. Um, but, I, but I do think that the biggest impact from the volatility and all of these variables we've talked about, the interest rates, the inflation, the stock market, um, the overall extraordinary frenzy we've seen over the last couple of years, I think it's just going to cause for a little bit more caution. 
Um, and those people that are in the lower price points are going to feel that pressure uh, far more significantly th than those at the higher end. Um, somebody that's getting a you know five million dollar mortgage uh, probably going to have to invest a little bit more of their discretionary or their available income into satisfying that purchase um, than 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 they would have before. But I don't think that it necessarily impacts their desire to make the purchase. Um, so I don't think the stock market's gonna gonna pull people out of the real estate market. Quite the gotcha. opposite. Rebecca, what are your thoughts on that? I say Jay nailed it on the head, really. I just say ditto. He he's um right on. Um all of my uh luxury buyers are not hesitating and purchasing a home. They kicked themselves, yeah, for not buying when they could have got it, you know, at a you know, lower uh, rate or or just um, even cash buyers as far as uh, taking their portfolio uh, out, they're not really caring too much. They know they're they're all part of the stock market. They know it goes up. They know it goes down. They're kind of used to that. And so uh, what I have seen is my uh, people are moving on and they're kind of not worrying about what the rates are doing and they want a home and they want an investment and there's no hesitation They are They are, some of them are waiting a little bit uh, just to kind of see if they can have a little bit more of a negotiating uh, tool because of the, of the economy. But, um, but yeah, Jay, like Jay said, there's really, um, I haven't really seen too much of a difference than, um, than uh, what it has been in the past. Gotcha. By the way, something Thank else that, that, that I, I want to add to what Rebecca said, the 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 summer months, um, I think it's fair to say across all markets globally, uh, saw a return to those parts of life that many parts of the world were unable to enjoy during the pandemic. And we saw an outlandish amount of travel, um, people take time to spend with their families, the things that we couldn't do, uh, many, many, many people did. And, and we saw, you know, restaurants like that were typically slammed empty. Um, and, and the real estate market, similarly, real, many of the realtors that I work with at Douglas Solomon kind of took a deep breath and said, okay, I can break. I don't, and I'm not going seven days a week and, and dealing with multiple offers and trying to balance all this chaos. And so I think that led to what we're seeing now, which is our numbers of closings coming down 30% or so. I don't think that that's representative of truly where the market is. I think that we're going to find as we go into the end or close out the fourth quarter that there'll be a little bit of a, a, you know resuming of um, the activity, and and I think that some of these markets like Nashville and Florida and Texas and I mean we opened recently in Nevada um, in, in, Las, in Las Vegas. I think we're going to start to see continued momentum into those markets because as we've all said uh, we have seen a rebalancing of our population into different markets for different reasons and i think that that presents great opportunities for for rebecca and for the agents at my company and uh, i i think we need to look forward to that and and, and be sensitive to um, being prepared to embrace for it gotcha um, George, I want to talk a little bit about some of the other markets. Um, we have some questions about from Hal asks about Charleston and Savannah, and Eric asks about Las Vegas, which of course is, saw a lot of act activity uh, from West Coast buyers at the beginning of the pandemic. What do you think about those cities? 
So let's start first with, with Charleston Savannah and by extrapolation, the Carolinas, there is a huge, huge uh, surge in economic activity in both states, both from the traditional standpoint, you look at companies like financial services in, in Charlotte, but also from a lot of investment in manufacturing and transportation. Think about the fact that uh, some of the ports in both Carolinas have spent tremendous amounts of, of dollars dredging and preparing for the Super Panamax ships that uh, you know have now become regular traffic uh, along the eastern seaboard since the Panama Canal expansion a few years ago. A lot of the investments also went to intermodal transportation centers. When you think about the, 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 the kind of manufacturing we're seeing in the Carolinas, whether it's you know, traditional automotive, you know, BMW's largest plant in the world is in South Carolina. You look at intermodal transport centers, uh, rail, truck, uh, shipping, airports, huge investments in some of these markets. And I think, you know, Charleston is well positioned and, and even Savannah from that standpoint. And a lot of residential development following this commercial real estate investment. And I think we're going to continue to see strength in, in those uh, markets as we go forward. Um, and that's before you even, you know, throw in the, the tourism and some of the other things that, that people go there for. And I think I'll add this because I think it's so relevant. In addition to the, you know, retiring population looking at these markets for lifestyle, affordability and, and you know, cost of living, we are seeing a lot of young professionals also, you know, the millennial generation who are having families, the oldest of which are this year 41. Uh, they're having kids. They are looking for better quality of life they're also attracted to some of these markets. And as far as, as Vegas, I think Vegas has really made strides to position itself as a market that's gone beyond its, its destination as simply tourism and gambling. We've seen a lot of companies set up shop over the last decade there. We see a lot of spillover from the California markets into, into Las Vegas. So in a sense, I know for a lot of people, there's this reaction to look at what's happening in real estate markets this year and right away point to 2008. Well, you know, Vegas, like some of the other sand states, was a market that really crashed. Are we going to see the same thing this time? It's a market that has diversified economically. And as a result, I do expect the performance of that market to reflect that in, in you know, this year and in the years ahead. Gotcha. Well, we're almost out of time. In fact, we've gone over a little. So I'm going to ask for the crystal balls to come out and see. I'd love to know what you all think is going to happen for the rest of this year and into next year. Um, Jay, why don't we start with you? Uh, thank you. I think we're going to find uh, pr probably somewhat stable stable market volume throughout the balance of the year. Um, I think hopefully we'll see some normalcy and stability in the stock markets, which I think will allow for a little more comfort in finalizing investment decisions and purchase decisions. So hopefully uh, much more activity as we end the year and go into 2023. And I think the overall outlook for Florida is is positive, bullish, and uh, and still very much an exciting place, both for relocation and investment. Um, and I think the long-term trajectory is positive. Rebecca? Yeah, based on um, my activity and my uh, colleagues as well, we're all seeing in our company at Compass that it, you know, even though the market is stabilizing, that I, I think that we're continuing to see things uh, sell, close, um, and then new buyers coming, and also new people that are uh, getting a hold of me to be able to list their home. And so it's it's kind of continuing, and and so I think that it's going to be a 
normalizing market, uh, like Jay said, but um, I think it's going to just kind of roll over and may have a little bit of slow time during the winter when there's snow on the ground, because Nashville does have four seasons, Jay, you don't. <laughs> but, um, but so there's a little bit of slowing time during the winter, but um, but it picks right back up because everybody wants to get back into a new home and 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 by the spring. And so I, I just have a prediction that it's going to kind of stay the way it's going and and um, time is good in Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> George, you get the final word. What are your thoughts? So I'll take my you know, crystal ball and point in two directions. Number one, I look macroeconomically. Uh, and there I expect conditions to actually feel a lot more downward pressure. Number one, global economies are slowing, whether you look at Europe, whether you look at Asia. There's a lot of pressure both on economies and markets. Uh, in addition, you have geopolitical risks. We still have a war in Ukraine. We have a lot of tension politically around the world. These tend to weigh on markets. We saw what happened in the UK you know, over the last couple of months. I think this will weigh on the US economy. One, two, the Fed is still fully committed to bring inflation down because they see it as a real existential threat to the economic growth. With that, borrowing costs are going to go higher, which means companies and consumers are going to be less likely to be able to purchase. So that's likely to put pressure in 2023 on economic growth. Switching to real estate markets, I, I see a slightly more... Um, you know, slightly more dismal picture, mostly uh, on, on two accounts. Number one, I do see rates remaining high. And I do see the fact that right now those rates are making it challenging for a lot of buyers. In time, incomes will adjust upward. We're still seeing them grow. And and people's expectations, right, the, the psychological shock of this will also adjust. So I do see transactions moderating through the rest of the year. In fact, we're going to have declining sales continuing. But that will normalize further in uh, 2023. The other thing I'll point out, and I think it's very important for listeners to remember, with the exception of investors, most people who buy a home don't sell it just to, you know, turn it around, flip it and make a quick buck. However, at the same time, a life changes, stages of life, circumstances do cause people to sell retirement, getting married, having children and needing more space. Those are not going anywhere, right? People and Americans, by and large, will continue living their lives, which means they will need to buy and sell homes. So I do see from that standpoint, real estate transactions continuing into next year with more adjustment, my view, in prices. And as a final thought, I will expect more geographic dispersion. Some markets will see price drops. We're already seeing that, that happening, while others are going to have a very good year still. Got it. That is so interesting. And thank you, Rebecca, George, and Jay for being here for this great conversation. And thanks to our audience for tuning in. Please join us again on Monday for Barron's Roundtable, for a Barron's Roundtable discussion on the midterm elections. These elections are coming up and they'll determine the balance of power in Washington and set the stage for the coming two years. Join Barron's and MarketWatch journalists as they lead a discussion with political and investing experts on what to watch, what to expect, and what it all means for your portfolio. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.